0: Listen up! It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Mark Dunn. This is Karen Cavallero here to announce show number 45 with guest Sam Gentili. Recorded Thursday, November 6, 2003, and published Monday, January 12, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter. And now, the man who, along with Dick Cheney, got his flu shot in an undisclosed location, Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, everybody. Thanks to our applause machine. I am your host, Carl Franklin, in New London, Connecticut. Here in uh, the studio today is Mark Dunn. My co-host, my compadre, my partner in crime. How are you, sir? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. What a great show that was last time with Don, huh? Don Box.
1: Man, I was tracked up higher than. Uh, <laughs> I, <what?
0: laughs> now, I think you've already done that joke. I've already
1: done that joke.
0: <clears throat> uh, just uh, unbelievable. We, we, you know, when we uh, did Marcy Robillard, well, that didn't sound good. When we had Marcy Robillard <laughs> on the show as Data Grid Girl, <laughs> yes. Um, we got some comments in the blogs that, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, some, somebody got a little upset with, uh, the fact that we had data grid girl on. I don't know why. Uh, he says, why don't they interview XML boy? And they had a link to Don block. So,
1: well, uh, Hey, Hey, I'm going to quote Emeril Lagasse. Get your own show. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it. We've done XML boy. We've done the data grid girl. Now get your own show.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, what, what's on, uh, on deck for tonight, Carl?
0: Well, tonight uh, our guest is uh, Sam Gentili. He is one of the original developers of Extreme Programming on the Wiki site, and he has been credited in both the Ron Jeffries and Kent Beck's books on Extreme Programming. Uh, he has had one of the first .NET blogs in the .NET community, and uh, has been around doing lots of stuff, C++, VB6, com, dot .NET, knows a lot about uh, cross-platform uh, capabilities of the dot .NET framework, and is a huge science fiction fan. Would you please welcome Sam Gentilly? How are you, Sam?
2: Great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, Sam. I'm a big uh, sci-fi fan myself.
2: Cool. Yeah, I've got about, I'd say... Somewhere on the order of about 3,000 works of science fiction. It uh, has totally consumed uh, some of my spaces in the house. Wow, you,
1: uh, you're you're a more voracious reader than
0: I am, I think.
2: Unfortunately, I haven't read them all, or probably half of them. But uh, I collect them in the hopes of someday reading through every one of them. However strange that sounds.
0: Who are your favorite uh, authors there Sam? I uh,
2: I really like uh sort of what they're calling the uh I'm not sure the British new wave of uh, Stephen Baxter, uh Ian Banks, uh Alistair Reynolds, a lot nice. of the uh up and coming British uh, hard science fiction authors. I I like to I like to be challenged uh, with what I read. And uh some of these people just have have a tremendous amount of science in it and forces me to go look up things on the internet or uh or uh you know, look into the kind of things that they're talking about. So I, I feel most challenged by those kind of people. What do
1: you think about Piers Anthony?
2: I actually haven't read any of his stuff to be honest.
1: It doesn't surprise me. He writes for twelve year old girls i believe <laughs>
2: <laughs> no i haven't haven't read any I've certainly heard of him but
1: uh uh dan uh well let's let's talk about some heavyweights uh Dan simmons
2: yeah dan simmons uh great author uh it's been years since I've read his stuff but uh yeah, he's got some great stuff.
1: Yeah, I like some of the older authors. Uh, Gordon R. Dixon, uh, I like um, uh, Isaac Asimov, uh, Arthur C. Clarke. About Ray Bradbury,
2: right? There's so many greats. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to read it all. I tried to compile a a top uh, thirty or so list on on my site. Uh, couple of years ago it uh it's uh, it's hard to narrow it down to 30
0: well let's talk about extreme programming so so that was your idea
2: oh no no no
0: <laughs> you're just one of the original
2: well I, I think i was one of the original advocates i think i stumbled onto it uh sort of uh by accident actually i had Happened upon Wiki Wiki Web, which is uh, Ward Cunningham's site, and there's a lot of really smart people there. And I happened uh, on it about the time that Ron Jeffries and Kent Beck were in the embryonic stage with a lot of the ideas behind extreme programming. And, and uh, uh, basically, I I started off really by playing devil's advocate and uh because I had grown up like a lot of other developers with big big design up front and process and right. I, I had worked in the past for Raytheon and Department of Defense and you know, so I, I sort of inbred with this whole idea of process and uh
0: well, and
2: doing things like rational rows diagrams and and so a lot of the ideas initially in extreme programming really took me for a loop. I mean, they flew in the face of basically everything I've been taught.
0: Well, why don't why don't you just uh, define extreme programming for the listeners? Uh, we we tend to jump into uh, details before we give the big picture here.
2: Well, uh, 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 extreme programming is a the methodology, if you will, it's one of the so-called agile methodologies or lightweight methodologies and basically a lot of it is founded on common sense principles somewhat taken to an extreme. Uh, it's a, it's a kind of unfortunate name, but, uh, it, it has a core set of principles including, uh, Incremental delivery, writing your unit test first. Uh, it's test-driven methodology. It's very much uh, a methodology of iterations and uh, uh, short cycles. It, it has uh, some core principles, which I find uh, to be, be truthful for me. Uh, one of them is do the simplest thing that could possibly work. Uh, which simply means uh, don't over design and any you can't foresee the future don't spend a lot of time doing elaborate class diagrams and and whatnot because mm-hmm. you, you can't foresee three months six months down the road just do what the requirement is calling for today um, thing things like that uh, obviously there's a lot more to it but in an uh, I think that that's in a nutshell.
1: Is extreme programming positioned as something that uh, would work for all software projects? Or, or is there, are there a family that it would work for better? Work the for jury's
2: better? still out on that. Uh, I think, as I understand it, Kent has always maintained that it's a small project kind of methodology, uh, whether it scales to large uh, development projects is things that are are things that are being you know tested now um, and research is being done in those areas but it's very much a methodology where where optimally you have a small project team and uh, even more optimally they're all located in the same room they actually, They actually do uh, extreme programming with small groups and share sort of a communal space. Because another one of the big things in extreme programming is pair programming, and that's where you literally have uh, two people sit at the same keyboard and develop a piece of code together. And uh, that's, I think, one of the more controversial pieces how so? Well, I've found that trying to sell that to management, uh, their immediate uh, take is that they're going to have a 50% productivity loss. Oh, I have to put two developers on the same piece of code, so instantly I'm going to lose 50%. Um, I I don't see it that way. Um, one, you're getting instant code reviews. You have another pair of another pair of eyes on the problem. Right. And two, you have this sort of very synergistic kind of design process going on where where the two of you are are basically finishing each other's thoughts and, you know, did you think of this? No. Um so
1: to so be kinda of critical, you like the guy that you're paired with, right? I mean you'd have to get along. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. It, it, I've I've been lucky in the people I've paired with, uh, you know, fairly good programmers, and uh, I've had some pretty peak experiences with it myself. Um, You know, just better, uh, the sum is uh, greater than the pieces or whatever the saying is.
0: Well, now, Mark, you had some uh, experience or your company you worked for. Right. Uh, I didn't
1: have first-hand experience with Extreme Programming. I did work for a company, a consulting company at one time, that tried to uh, implement, a, would uh, say, a medium-sized project. They had uh, about 14 developers that were working on it at one time. And the uh, the architect for the project was a big advocate of Extreme Programming and got them to try it. And, uh, you know, it, it just didn't work for them. Uh, that's not really... You know, me jabbing extreme programming—it was just it could have been they didn't implement it the right way. But I, I did, you know, from uh, observation, see that they had two developers uh, basically sitting side by side working on the same code, uh, which I thought was interesting. And and as Sam mentioned, uh, management perceived early on that that they weren't being as productive as maybe they could be. Right. And uh, you know, the the project could have failed for any number of reasons, but. Uh, you know, ultimately they, they rejected extreme programming and went back to more standard methods.
0: Sam, does it take a, a certain kind of, uh, developer, uh, psyche wise or personality wise to benefit to do this, uh, coupling programming?
2: I, I can't speak universally for it and I don't want to speak for Kent and, you know, obviously the people that developed it, but my opinion is, uh, is one, it requires a, a commitment up front from the entire development team. In other words, you, and from everybody around them, management, whatever the structures are in the company, or else it doesn't succeed. Uh, and pretty much everybody has got to be, you know, on board with doing it. Uh, there really isn't... Uh,
0: that can be hard to achieve.
2: In wiki, they they say you're not doing extreme programming unless you're doing all of it. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but obviously if Kent is saying that and it's his methodology, then uh, maybe that's, that's the way it is.
0: Well, but you know how it goes with people who in, invent methodologies. I mean, it becomes their life work, you know, and, uh, exactly. and they want to see... Yeah, A little bit biased, I think, maybe. Yeah, is yeah. The, it's
1: like someone calling your baby ugly. I mean, you just, right. you know, you don't like it.
2: Well, the the, the big thing for me is that uh, the focus on test-driven development, I mean, just taking that piece of it has been very rewarding for me. Uh, the, the writing the unit test first requires you to look in advance at your code at how someone else may call it. And it, it has been, it has been a rewarding experience for me. It has changed the way that I design my classes, for instance. I think a lot more about what a potential caller of such would expect. And I start to code it, then I add pieces. And I go go in cycles to make, to see if uh, to see if uh, I'm passing my unit tests. Now the one cool thing about doing this in .NET is that there's a a tool I'm not sure if you guys have worked with uh, called NUnit.
0: Nope. Um.
2: Where, where there's these test harnesses for for extreme programming and basically. Uh, they give you the ability to write these unit tests. You can subclass off of a pre-built test case or a test class. The problem with most of it is that is that you actually have to compile it in with your application. Right. The one for VB6, uh, as I understand, you actually have to include it in your source code. The one for C++, you have to compile it in The one nice thing about .NET and its use of reflection is that uh, NUnit is able to use .NET's reflection ability to look at attributes in the code. So literally, you can set an attribute such as test or test fixture and it will turn it into the appropriate code. Uh, So it becomes... Uh My friend John Lamb likes to say uh, things are a matter of friction, and i uh, I really believe that uh if the friction is too high for something, developers tend not to do it and In the past, unit tests have had a lot of friction with them, and unit has virtually no friction uh, You can literally just put up some attributes and write a couple lines of code and Within two minutes have a unit test. What I'm seeing in my development groups, uh, you know, we, we tend to use it a lot more now. And, uh, you know, even apart from the rest of the extreme programming methodology, uh, that has infected the way that I code and people around me as well.
1: Right, I I first actually saw that in a book uh, called Visual Basic Power Programming uh, by Paul Kimmel. Uh, he actually had a URL to uh, the NUnit site, uh, so very cool idea.
0: Great book, by the way.
1: Yeah, excellent book. Uh, listeners, buy that book if you're a, a .NET programmer.
2: And look into look into NUnit. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely a great tool.
0: So, Sam, the .NET framework has been around for about three years now. What are your thoughts on uh, the state of what we now call the .NET framework? I guess now in Longhorn it's going to be WinFX. And, uh, That's right. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts thus far?
2: Uh, I was an uh, early adopter. I was in the .NET early adopter program during Beta 1 developing their product for Navisite. I actually joined in on when it was still called NGWS. And I've actually, uh, well, as of today, shipped my fourth .NET product. Uh, I, I have seen radical benefits in terms of shortening the development cycle. If you compare it to C++, well, I To me, the big win. I don't think of .NET personally as anything about web services. I I think the marketing message that Microsoft tried in the first couple years with the .NET framework didn't resonate with me. Uh, I view .NET's major benefits uh, as the garbage collection, the managed runtime, and the CLR. Radically improved productivity. Um, Coming from a big C++ background, um, C++'s Achilles heel is that it gives you all the power to shoot yourself in the foot, and that includes having to manage your own memory, and if you don't properly delete things, you cause memory leaks, and at best, they're just leaks. At worst, they're absolute access violations.
1: Man, I hear you. I've tried to I've tried to do C plus plus a few times, and it it made me want to shave a cat. I mean, <laughs> I, it was very frustrating for me.
2: Well, I very reluctantly gave up C plus plus. My first uh,
0: shave a cat. What the hell was that?
1: I don't know.
2: I'm shave sorry, a cat. Sam. Uh, what is he talking about?
0: I have no idea. He's-
1: well, I'm, I'm I'm trying to come up with an analogy that expresses, you know, the
2: frustration.
0: Sort <laughs> of those southern colloquialism. It is.
2: I mean, you know, he's got to work on the, you got to work on your analogies, dude. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: How hard would it be
1: to shave a cat? It pretty, would be pretty, pretty hard. hard,
0: yeah. I guess. <laughs> Well, like many of you, I too uh, tried out Crystal Reports because it came with Visual Studio.net and soon found myself up against uh, walls in development and uh, licensing problems, which I'm sure you know about. And then somebody told me about Data Dynamics ActiveReports.net, and since then I've been hooked. Listen, everybody that I know, every regional director, every MVP that I know, everyone who has experience with using report generators uh, will tell you the same thing. ActiveReports.net is the thing to get. Let me tell you about it. It's easy to use uh, because it fully integrates with Visual Studio.net. It has a office-like designer, so it's very easy to understand. And developers, you can use whatever language you know to program the report. It's not specific to one language. Um, And the reports in your application work just like forms. They're compiled into the app, and you, the developer, can reference any of the objects, functions, and custom data sources in the report. It also has full ASP.NET support with a web viewer, HTTP handlers, and full integration into web applications. It's also easy to license. There's a royalty-free, per-developer licensing scheme, which makes it really easy to license in any setting. WinForms, WebForms, servers, no CPU-based or user-based uh, licensing, and really no hassle. A very easy to deploy. You can use XCopy deployment. Complete flexibility. It's just It was just made for .NET. It's absolutely cool. And if you've used Active Reports for vb 6 You'll be all that much more familiar with it. Uh, I also want to mention a couple things about the company, Data Dynamics, just in case you don't know who they are. They were established in 1996. They're based in Columbus, Ohio, and they focus on quality components and superior technical support. Most products are bestsellers in the ActiveX and .net markets, including Active Reports, SharpGrid, Active Sharp Grid and Dynamic Cube. Check it out. I wouldn't use anything else personally, and uh, you can take my word for it.
2: Yeah, it uh, it definitely is uh, is is very difficult to develop in C plus plus and the realm of rocket scientists. I've been developing C plus plus for like fifteen years. But you never feel like you've got total mastery of it, right? It's just got so many arcane details. And, you know, I once heard Don say, let go and let the runtime, you know, and that's really, to me, what the .NET framework and especially the CLR are all about. Right. I mean, get out of that business. If you really think that you can code all that stuff, you're, you're just fooling yourself.
0: And that's not what you should be focusing on no, anyway. You should
2: be delivering business logic for your clients and right. not spending your t- weekends tracing down memory leaks. That's not what it's about. Right. It's just like writing your own transaction code. Like, why would you do that? You would use ComPlus or Enterprise Services. Nobody in their right mind today would implement two-phase commit uh, coordinator, you know, they would just use the one that's baked into into the runtime.
0: Right. Right.
2: So so to me .net in a framework uh, is all about productivity. Just just improving the development experience uh, so radically for developers so that they can do things in a fraction of the time.
1: Sure, sure.
2: It's a in force, right? I mean, we had if you look at Windows DNA, it, it, it's just a nightmare. It, you know, you had, it typically if you're a Windows DNA guy, like I was back then, and you were developing across tiers, you would on a given day have to use VB6, you might use C++ ATL for some COM components, you would use some JavaScript, you would use SQL Server, you, you would use some SQL,
1: I mean, I'm shedding tears now, I mean,
2: just thinking about it. A
0: smorgasbord of yeah. languages and tools. The
2: point yeah. is that all of these tools had had very distinct object models. MFC had nothing to do with VB6, which had nothing to do with Java, which had nothing to do with anything else. And, and you know, on a given day, you'd have to switch between all these different class libraries. It's a
0: coming together of... Uh, common benefits. The unification. Yeah, it's the unification of languages and technologies. One framework
1: to rule them all.
0: That's right. There we go. There we go. I like that. And who's better than Microsoft to to be the king of the world?
1: They're the J.R.R. Tolkien of uh, software (laughs) development.
0: Preach on. Preach on. So what about ComInterop? Do you find uh, ComInterop to be uh, as robust as people think?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely not. Uh, Really? All right. I I think that this is where I made sort of my mark in the field, uh, in in the .NET field. uh, And now I have spoken on it at WinDev, and I I get invited to give talks on this. And uh, it's kind of fascinating because most people, when they think about .NET, think about Wizzy WinForms and, you know, all this cool new stuff you know, and forget about the fact that Microsoft has sold people on the com is love thing, you know, for
0: what I've heard years
2: that and so, there's uh, about, you know, a couple billion lines of this ugly com code sitting around and you know I don't know if it's me, but the corporations I've walked into have not wanted to write Winform from day one. They want all that Good code that they got to to interoperate
0: and COM interrupt doesn't do the job, is what you're saying.
2: Well, I have an essay. I have some essays out there about uh, about this, uh, and I and I've adjusted my take. In a nutshell, uh, a year or so ago, I was doing some work for Groove, a really really awesome right. technology, yeah. technology company, and um, we had a lot of. Uh, Groove's um, design is basically heavily centered on Calm. I believe it's like five million lines of Calm.
1: Well, t- tell the listeners what Groove is. Groove is a cool product. Absolutely. Groove is
2: a really cool product. Uh, I really would love to give a plug for them. They, uh, Ray Ozzy, uh, does understands collaboration, in my opinion, better than most people in the world. Uh I got groove right off the bat. Uh, I mean, some people just don't get it. You either you either get it and really love the product or or you really seem to hate it. What is it? Uh basically it's a it's a desktop application that uh c- that centers around short-term collaboration. Uh, hmm. meaning that uh, you get a bunch of people let's say four to six people, and it's centered on small collaboration. it bogs down to be fair among when you get uh, above twelve fourteen people Are
0: we talking collaboration on code or real time collaboration collaboration
2: on anything really no what what it has in it is uh you know, as instant messaging, uh, discussion tools, uh, chat, but it's all all in one tool, and it's organized around the metaphor of a shared space or a, think of it as a room. Like the the three of us enter in a room, and we work together. So there's abilities to collaboratively edit uh, word documents. Uh, oh.
1: mm. Would you compare it to NetMeeting at all?
2: It, it's sort of like net meeting taken to its you know to its extreme to what it should have been.
1: Right, that's that was my impression of it as well.
0: We're back to that extreme word, aren't we?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that word.
0: Okay. So com com interrupt uh I my experience with com interrupt is that it's been uh, fast enough and does the job when you're accessing com objects from managed code. But when you're going back the other way, it sort of falls apart. Is that what you're uh, getting at with Con- No, I don't, I
2: don't think – well, that may be a, a secondary thing. It's not so much the speed thing, although you're going to take uh, anywhere from 20%, 30% uh, hit across the boundary, right? Uh, are
0: you sure about that?
2: That's a big, big hit. Well, it, it it actually depends upon how much marshalling has to take place. Oh, yeah. If your data types are isomorphic.
0: And they should be for, for something you're using Interop for.
2: Well, when you start to deal with variants and safe arrays and things like that, then they're not. Yeah. Uh, because, because And then you get into marshalling costs. Good I BB would,
1: programmers know that variants, variants are evil. Variants suck. We don't variants
2: like variants. Variants do suck, and the uh, UVB guys have, to have brought this monstrosity on the program.
0: Hey, it wasn't me. Yeah. It wasn't me. I avidly denounce variants. Yeah. Not only are they inefficient, but they're dangerous.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But my, my contention is this, uh, very simply, um, the runtime callable wrapper or the RCW that you create in order for your .NET code to talk to your legacy COM component, what, what happens is that that RCW has lifetime issues, okay? COM is very deterministic, right? right I mean, right. things have to happen at very precise times or right? yeah. it just falls apart. If you have connection points, you have to do an unadvised at a very specific time, or things can crash. You know, the rules of calm are very brittle and very easy to break. Um, and things that don't happen at certain times uh, cause problems. Now, if you look at the world of the CLR, it's completely the opposite. It's completely non deterministic. The garbage collector can run. You know, 300 milliseconds from now, or it can run a week from Tuesday.
0: And when it feels and like
2: it. Yeah. The problem is that the RCW is garbage collected, and if it's holding on to the underlying COM uh, object underneath, uh, and you need it, you need something to happen at a very precise time, you've now got an unpredictable in your architecture.
0: Sam, can you can you think of a way that they could have done it better? Any any uh, thing they yeah, could have Yeah,
2: absolutely. Been... I I wrote on this. Uh, there's uh, uh, on my blog there's a number of essays and I actually went toe to toe with Chris Broom even which shocked some some people, but uh, there's this call marshal.release com object which says uh, immediately drop all references my contention is this, and this is what I'm talking to uh, the COM Interop team about some future release that they might consider doing, is that these runtime callable wrappers should implement iDisposable and in that iDisposable code, you could do whatever cleanup you needed to do.
0: Right. And they don't do that?
2: They don't do that. They don't hook, give you that hook. So what happens, and we did this at Groove, is literally you have to sprinkle literally hundreds of these Marshall, that release com object calls all throughout your code space. And the problem, problem isn't that it, that it doesn't work. It does work uh, to a large extent when you do life. that, but your code space gets polluted, right? You yep. uh, have this business logic, and then all of a sudden, you get all this code all over the place. Marshall dot release com object, right.
1: but e- even if you implement IDisposable, there's no guarantee that a programmer is going to call the dispose method. That's right. R-
2: right. It's n- it's not an e it's not an easy solution, um, and I-, I was talking you just had Don on your show. uh, When I first wrote my essay way back, I was convinced that Com Interop was just fundamentally flawed. We were just, and that was the title of my first essay. It got me, of course, really noticed. Um, But I, I spent some time on Don's couch, his ugly purple couch that he has out in his office in Redmond, and uh, he walked me through the life cycle issues. And you know, you're right; you can't universally implement eye uh, disposable. It, it would help in scenarios with RCWs, but it would not work with CCWs going the other way, because CCW effort. is shared. By multiple clients
0: and that's going from a com uh, a com pr- platform and trying to access a .NET object as a com object
2: right mm-hmm. and so they couldn't universally do this without causing other problems
0: well I don't think I don't think there are many people that are doing that going right. to com from uh, Front to .net from .com. Like, it's like swimming upstream. I
2: frequently get told that uh, you know, and I've written courses on COM interop, and they say, "Why would you even present that side?" Well, the the answer is because there's there's a lot of unmanaged clients still out there, right? Until Longhorn, uh, if you want to use any of the shell desktop APIs, you're you've got to use uh, COM interop in that direction you you may you will be calling from com, potentially to dot net
0: well let's think about that for a minute if you have uh if you have business objects that you're writing in dot net that you want to access from your your uh your v b six front ends let's say okay those uh you know in order for you to take full advantage of the architecture you got to have data sets in v b six you got to have the ADO net libraries and now you find yourself on a on a pointless mission to create uh com callable wrappers for the framework that don't exist. Uh, you can't get a data set in VB six, you know yeah, what I'm saying? That's true. What are you going to do with it? Once you have it, you can't, now you've got to get a data adapter if you're going to use it. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, th-
2: that's true. I, I'm thinking of, uh, some very specific uses okay. where, but you can't generally, you have greater type fidelity and, and manage code. Obviously, and CLR types are not going to map, as you said. Yeah,
0: and I think most people are going to return arrays of ints or strings. And it, exactly.
2: Uh, I'm just saying that that the scenario does exist, although its orders of magnitude less important than going the other way. So
0: screw them, I say.
2: <laughs> so screw them. Okay.
0: That's yeah, that's my that's answer. a solution.
1: Not always for it. <laughs> You can't have it. There.
2: Oh, there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Kind of.
1: Yeah. Well, that brought about a
0: silence. So. <laughs> yeah, crickets. Put some crickets in there. God,
2: God. Little pause there. God, God.
0: So what do you do for fun, Sam?
2: Um, I actually, actually uh, do some of this stuff for fun. You know, like all long horn no i'm talking about fun sam <laughs> no real fun you know i'm, I'm a pretty boring guy actually uh, but uh no seriously uh i get i derive a lot of fun from my family i have there a lovely go. wife susan oh, and nice. i i have two kids and uh one five year old jonathan and now i have a nine month old daughter heather oh. and uh she lights up my life, and so uh, when I get too serious with this stuff, I'll just uh just lay on the floor with Heather and uh you know it just play
0: Let me ask you one family man to another when you go on vacations, do you bring your laptop?
2: Oh no, it depends on whether my wife is looking at my luggage or not, <laughs>
0: yeah uh. Uh. <clears throat>
2: I try, yeah. Is
1: your wife uh technical?
2: Uh not at all. Uh, she's the exact opposite and that's that's great for me. Yeah. But she she is not the slightest bit interested in any of this.
0: So you really but you really don't you, you know you can't talk about what you did today at the dinner table though, right?
2: Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> well, my wife's the same way. She was a nurse uh, until she uh became a domestic engineer, as she likes to call herself now.
2: Yeah.
0: My wife is a nurse also and uh, as you know, I can understand I can understand her dinner table conversation but right. I don't even try to explain what I did
2: today. Yeah, I don't bother. She throws up her hand yeah. and says, uh, you know, I don't want to hear it.
1: Yeah, my wife used to like, you know, serve spaghetti with a nice red sauce and go, "Yeah, this guy had a gunshot wound to the head."
2: <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs>
1: That was dinner conversation. You should yeah, have no. seen it. He bled all over the place. That's
0: right. Yeah, and yeah. I had to give this guy a colostomy bag today and Oh, that's nice while I'm eating my meatloaf, yeah, dear.
1: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You're past the chocolate pudding. No, no.
0: <laughs> I don't think we needed to go there, Mark.
1: Oh no, I couldn't
0: help it. <laughs>
2: First, as analogies, and now. I know. How
0: this. We're going to have to. You know what it is? It's the Sam Adams, I think.
2: That's right. The Sam Adams. It's
1: the
0: Sam Adams. (laughs) uh you've uh you've written some things in your blog and and uh about the cross-platform nature or lack thereof of uh the Dynat framework what do you think about well we asked Don the same question in his um in his uh interview what do you think of the news ab- around uh, Red Hat uh not uh, now they're going to be charging for Linux and uh uh Novell buying SUSE and what do you think of the that does to mono and rotor and all those other things.
2: Well, one of the I'm going to step back for just a second uh, before I get into that. Uh, I, I know less about mono than I do about rotor. Actually, uh, I I think mono's doing some fabulous things, but uh, I think I think one point I want to get across is that there's a unique. Uh, a unique tool or opportunity for .NET developers. I I just did an INETA talk for Julie Learman's group up in Vermont.
1: We know Julie.
2: We're a big fans. Yeah, yeah. We. I think I was there a month after you, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed that thoroughly.
2: Yeah, she's got a fabulous user group. Yes, she does. And, uh... I stepped out of my comfort zone a little and uh, didn't do my customary uh, .NETA presentations on Interop or Manage C++ and decided to try to do something I hadn't done before, which I called overview of the .NET CLR in friends. And the friends, of course, being all those terms that people banter around like CTS and ECMA and uh, CLI and MS Corey, and, uh, so I attempted in one presentation in a reasonable amount of time to, to go through sort of the evolution of, uh, COM to .NET, uh, how it originally came out of the COM Plus effort, and then, and then present the CLI. And one of the things people have, I find, have very little awareness of is that is that there is a thing called the CLI, and it's an ECMA standard spec for a virtual execution environment. And this is something, as far as I know, Microsoft has never done before, is design something independent of platform, independent of implementation. Let's tell
0: people what CLI stands for and what it is.
2: Oh, uh, Common Language Infrastructure. You can think of the CLI as the theoretical part. You can think of the CLR, Microsoft's Common Language Runtime, as the implementation of the spec. The spec is the CLI. The Microsoft's implementation is a CLR. Um,
1: So it's like a virtual machine. Mono is another
2: implementation. Docanu is another implementation. So the CLI is a is a spec. It comes in uh, five partitions, and I highly encourage people to actually read this, and because you'll you'll really increase your .NET knowledge. And it just came out in book form. Um, Jim Miller of CLR Group at Microsoft has annotated the spec and made it readable and. But uh, over the last couple of years, a lot of a lot of what I gained came from both the CLI specs and rotor sur- source code. So basically, the CLI in five partitions talks about the common type system CTS. And as we know in .NET, uh, a string is not in the language; it's it's actually in a CTS type, a System. String. So knowing this kind of stuff helps you understand that it ain't about languages anymore, right? I mean, languages really mattered a heck of a lot more during the Windows DNA time frame. But it really, to me, languages are syntactical sugar in .NET. I wrote an essay called It's the Runtime Stupid, you know, because people just fail to see they're talking about C sharp and how I how do I translate this beep function from B six into C sharp? That isn't what it's about. The C L R is a standard, you know, runtime and the languages are, are, are just merely expressing the semantics of the C L R. So it really doesn't matter to me what flavor of language someone picks whether it be C-sharp or VB.net or Manage C++, because ultimately, in my opinion, 80%, 90% of either of the languages is is CLR stuff or BCL stuff. So
1: So that's why you say it's the CLR stupid. Is that it?
2: Yes. Uh, Yeah, I, I wrote that essay. It's called It's the Runtime Stupid or It's the CLR Stupid. Right. It was one of my first blog entries about a year and a half ago, early right. on in the, and I think we have to smack people upside the head sometimes and say, you know, it's the runtime stupid or it's the CLR stupid.
1: Right, so they're, they're losing sight of uh, of the importance of the runtime. And right, I'm
2: just, I just get very tired of all these, uh, you know, senseless language wars. You see it a lot on blogs and. Uh,
0: yeah, but you got to admit it's kind of fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the first million times, but you got to remember that I was in, uh, you know, .Net uh, user .Net groups on DM's mailing list three years ago. We already did this yeah, a yeah. billion times before most people, before the product ever shipped. So by now, it's real old. That's true.
1: I wanted to come back to you mentioning the CLI. Uh, Yeah. Would
2: would you say... I'm sorry, it gets a little sidetracked, but I wanted to return there myself.
1: Well, would would you say that that's uh, basically a roadmap for writing a virtual machine for .NET, for other platforms?
2: Yes, it's it's a standard spec for writing a virtual execution environment, a VM... Of uh, like .net, and the really cool thing is that Rotor is an implementation of such. So, what's really, really cool to me is is being able to see the source code with it as well.
0: And Rotor is a free BSD version of Rotor
2: uh, is a is a reference implementation of the CLI, and it's implemented for uh three platforms now. Um uh, first it was two, FreeBSD and Windows. And now it's Mac as well, because Mac is Mac OS X is obviously based, yeah, based on, based Free on BSD, FreeBSD anyhow. Right.
0: And uh and a a good thing to point out is that the rotor project is really for educational purposes only. There's not a license for anyone to use the rotor code in production, right?
2: Right, I helped. Uh, I helped co-host uh, rotor Buff, uh Peter Draden, who uh, runs uh, or uh, does a lot of the rotor efforts out in Redmond, who's one of the original CLR bloggers, really good friend of mine. He called me up at PDC and said, uh, "I'm socked in in Tac and uh, would you?" Be kind enough to go over and help uh, co-host the rotor buff.
0: what's the rotor buff?
2: uh the birds of feather session at pdc okay and uh you know of course he was going to talk about rotor futures i have no idea about anything about rotor futures since i don't work for microsoft or that group and uh uh, he gave me enough things to get started. It turns out when I get down there, Ted Neward was there and uh, Brad Abrams of the CLR group. Yeah. So
1: We know Ted. Yeah. yeah. Ted's a good guy.
2: Ted's a great guy. Very sharp guy. And uh, Ted, uh, along with some others, Dave Stutz and um forget him, the third person, wrote the seminal rotor book uh, for O'Reilly. And this book is just brilliant. Not only will you learn all these intricate details about how the C L I slash C L R works, but the prose is just beautiful to read. Ted and those people just can really write and uh it uh it just reads really well. And
1: that's hard to find too, a readable technical book.
2: Yeah. And, uh, uh, to me, between the book and looking at the rotor source code, I mean, you can learn all, do- you can learn how assemblies are loaded, for instance, how Fusion, the class loader of .NET works, how, how it finds assemblies, how it does its binding. You can learn about garbage collection. You could, you can learn a lot of things about, about the, implementation now rotor of course is not the same exact implementation as a CLR uh, Microsoft has done value add on top of it um, they're called profiles in the CLI spec there's a thing called a kernel profile which apparently as I understand it is the is the basic implementation and the added implementation is called Compact, uh, which doesn't make sense to me, but uh, anyhow, um, the, the CLI spec does not include things like Windows Forms, obviously, and Windows-specific things. It's, uh, it's independent of platform, um, but you can still learn a lot about how the CLR works, by looking at Rotor,
0: we also mentioned the Mono project. Yeah, and now that is not a as you know Rotor was released by Microsoft. Right. This is not a Microsoft thing. This is some somebody, some other company that some uh,
1: independent thing,
0: an independent thing that Novell is now uh, funding and working on. Uh, well, M-
2: Miguel, and uh, forgive me, I can't pronounce his last name. De Acaza. Yes, uh, and I met him over at PDC outside the Rotor Birds of Feather session um, after, you know, having corresponded with him for years. Um, as as I understand it, he he has developed this project uh, with a band of volunteers, open source of, uh, as to as to the whole politics of the thing, and uh, with Zymin behind it, and then Zymin being bought by Novell, I, I confess to not understanding a lot of that. Uh, clearly, it seems like uh, Novell is positioning themselves in a place to challenge Windows using using what they bought uh, through through Diamond and through Mono Project.
0: It's certainly going to be interesting the next few years and see what they do. Yeah. I, I personally, as a Windows developer, I would love to be able to take my assemblies and uh, you know email them to a Mac user and have them be able to run a, a my Windows forms. You know, If they could call web services and, and deal with some data, uh, I think that 's good for Microsoft
1: oh it 's good for Microsoft
0: consumers everybody wins everybody wins in that sense
2: i i I agree with both of you i I think holding out the devil 's advocate uh, again, I have no idea how Microsoft thinks, but i I would speculate that things are tied to both server sales and uh, windows licenses sure. server licenses and that uh, I would guess is their hesitation but I, I think that there are I think there is you know pretty universal agreement that this would be a win and it would then also be a very effective competitor competitor to Java
0: right absolutely
1: well but you know with ECMA standard approval for the the CLI uh, you know the the Rotor Project, they're they are not really trying to pigeonhole .net. I mean, I, I think they've been pretty open about it.
2: I, I agree. I think that this is a great first step. Um, I, obviously, the licensing prohibits you from doing anything other than educational purposes, uh, but... I I do think that this is a new step for Microsoft. They investigated open source licenses. They came up with a license uh, based on free BSD, and from what I understand, that's why they used the free BSD licenses, because of issues with the other licenses more commonly used in other places uh, in open source communities. uh, But they did take the step of Developing a spec first, a reference implementation along with their code, and and reaching out to the academic community, to the development community, and say, you know, here's the code. I love to see them take it further, um, and I encourage people to go take a look at the Rotor community site. Uh, one of the interesting things is that there's a whole bunch of projects that have spun off the Rotor source code effort, and there's a whole there's a little community there. Hmm. And Peter Drayden wanted me to put a plug in for it uh, that uh, that there's this community happening. There's a mailing list hosted on the developmenter site, a Rotor list, but there's a community website which actually they they have a number of projects. If you look at generics, for instance, uh, the gyro stuff was done for rotor before it went into Whidbey. The experimentation right. was done with the rotor base, so you see a lot of academics primarily. You see West you know industrial people because of licensing issues but uh, there's some tremendously interesting stuff out there
0: Sam uh, what what's new and cool on and popular on your blog site that uh that people can go and look at
2: Well the most popular topic right now believe it or not is the is the longhorn topic uh-huh. where I did uh Write in your first Longhorn application.
1: Are all these essays on your blog that you've mentioned in the past?
2: Yes, this is on uh, samgentilli.com dot com blog, and uh, it's still on the first page there. It was done it was done uh, about uh, about four or five days ago. Mm. I had all this fever from the PDC and. Uh, I got fever, baby. I got the fever, baby. We
0: know the feeling. Yeah.
2: So I, I, I really was actually pretty impressed. Uh, I got to admit that, uh, Scoble's, uh, uh, you know, selling of all this, uh, reached a, a level that sometimes was, uh, a little overbearing and, uh, you know, Robert is Robert and, uh, good friend of mine. And, uh, He's a cool guy, he's and I know and he's, he's doing lives. his job. But uh, I ha- I have to say that I'm favorably impressed by what I saw. I really expected just nothing other than screenshots okay. and mock-ups and, you know, code that wasn't useful.
0: So what is your uh, first Longhorn application
2: involved? Well, it's the, it's the most the basic one, right? It's Hello World. But uh, in order to do that, I actually had to install it. I had to create a virtual PC, uh, image. Uh, so the, so the article, I don't think it's really well written as opposed to articles I've written for O'Reilly or my book. Uh, but it's sort of a diary and said, uh, here's what I did in order to create this app, and I show the XAML code, and, you know, it's just a stupid app that does Hello World.
1: Well, you know, some of those uh, simple apps are what we learn from the best.
2: Yeah, and uh, it turns out that this topic is getting blasted with hits. Uh, It's been linked all over the Internet, and the other day, Julie told me that it was in the Popdex Top 100. It was alongside things like uh, CNN stories and whatnot and President Bush and whatever was going on in the world, and that just blew my mind. Uh,
0: So, so Sam, you'd read about Iraq, the economy, President Bush, and writing your first Longhorn app.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, maybe I should rise to the top of the heap there.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Sam, I I really hate to end our gripping conversation, but uh, where did the time go, Carl? I we've, mean, it's, it's an hour. It's
0: basically, yeah. We're, uh, we're going to have to have you back,
1: Sam. I mean, there's just too much good
2: stuff here. Oh, I, I'd be honored. I, I'd really be honored. I really enjoyed it.
0: It was a good interview. And I'm looking forward to checking out your blog in in depth and reading some more of the articles there. Well, uh, Sam Gentili, thank you on behalf of Mark and myself and the listenership and uh, all of the .NET rockers out there. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you in the blogs.
1: Good night, Sam.
2: Thank you.
0: Good night. Good night.